Hi, everyone, and thanks for coming back. Today's episode is part two on Christopher Nolan's Mindbender, Inception. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we will never stray away from spoilers. A special disclaimer for this episode, this movie features an actor who, at the time of filming, identified as female but has since transitioned to male. However, the character the actor played is female. So to avoid any confusion when referring to the actor, we will simply use the actor's last name. And when referring to the character of Ariadne, we will be using feminine pronouns. Today we're going to be talking about casting and production, so let's just get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Cherie. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. Okay, so Cherie, first thing we need to talk about was... Joseph um, Gordon-Levitt, right. Because <laughs> he's pretty. Absolutely. Uh, While well, casting, so yes. Um, <laughs> another Hollywood crush we're going to talk about right another here. Another Hollywood crush. I, too, totally had a little baby crush on Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Got super excited when he was cast as Robin in the Dark Knight series. I was like, y'all could not have picked a better person. I'm really salty Me still that we didn't too. get, like, a Joseph Gordon-Levitt Nightwing thing going on. I Even though I'm so not sure... I'm not sure that his iteration of Robin is the... The version that becomes Nightwing. I don't either. I really don't. It's okay. I would have. I would have allowed the continuity break. But I will tell for... you, that's where I was like, man, that guy's pretty. I was. So we were actually. I remember that was definitely the movie. Watching this movie, and and we were at a point in cinema where we didn't have like a, where we didn't have like a an a male action hero like a cute male action hero that got cast in everything we were mm-hmm. kind of in limbo with like that person and and i remember sitting there thinking about joseph gordon levitt like okay you know what if i had to make a prediction i was like joseph gordon levitt could totally be like our next pretty male action hero if he wanted to be Okay. That was that was my theory. Granted, this was 2010, mm-hmm. and I was, like, 17 at the time, and he was adorable. What's crazy is I didn't have a crush on him in Inception. It wasn't until Dark Knight Rises came out where I was like, man, he's pretty. Wait, didn't Dark Knight Rises come out first? N- no? Maybe? IMDb. No, you're right. Dark Knight Rises was 2012. Okay. So, yeah. Finally. Well, but the thing is, though, I saw, I saw Inception first. I know I did. But I just didn't care about him in that movie. <laughs> Well, he doesn't have he doesn't have anything. He too moves the plot along. Intense, right? He's got he's got some great character gravitas, mm-hmm. but but that's about it. He's just mm-hmm. pretty and looks nice in a suit. Not to say he can't be anything. I'm other a, than I'm a that, sucker so. for a man in a suit, and Always. if you go look at my pictures, that is my husband mm-hmm. to a T. I mean, him and all of his suits. I have another one that I need to get for him. I need him to have an all black suit now. I actually like Joseph Gordon-Levitt better in. The Dark Knight Rises, because he has more to do in that film. In this film, yeah, he's true. very his 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 acting is pretty subdued. He moves the plot along. He tells you the pertinent information you need to know as mm-hmm. the movie moves along. Oh, that's Mrs. Cobb. I see you met Mrs. Cobb, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So he he gives us our needed information where everyone else is kind of bringing that story yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. He's our Hermione. He's an yes. information conveyor. He very much is. Yes. Um. So. 
as far as the rest of the casting goes for for this movie um loved we, we talked about leonardo dicaprio because we mm-hmm. could talk about him all day long which like i said he was cast first mm-hmm. in this movie which is excellent choice i wish that more people did that that they cast their their leading role first and then cast everybody else around, around them, them. Mm-hmm. yeah because then and i don't i don't know if they necessarily cast him or cast everyone else around dicaprio but i i do know they cast him first mm-hmm. and i feel like i there's a better um there is a better what, are, what is the word i'm looking for here like character meld like personality meld mm-hmm. that definitely translates to screen when you cast people based on your leading person like for instance um i know that in psych the tv show psych they cast james roday first as sean spencer mm-hmm. and then cast everyone else around him mm-hmm. cast dule hill and tim amundsen and it makes sense too because your show is about your main character so of course you right. want to be able to cast around that because the, the heart of your soul is your main character. Right. The heart of your show, excuse me, is the heart of your soul. <laughs> also that, but the heart of the show is definitely about the main character. So you want to make sure that you have that right. Right. And then you can start putting in the puzzle pieces of the rest of the show. Right. Which, interestingly enough, like I said, I don't think they did that. I know they cast DiCaprio first, but I don't think they cast everyone to have chemistry with him in this. Um. So it's interesting that they didn't necessarily have chemistry with one another because I saw that Christopher Nolan explained that, um, oh, this was in an interview with Entertainment Weekly. Mm -hmm. Um, Christopher Nolan explained that he based the roles of the Inception team similarly to the roles that are used in filmmaking. So dope. Right. Isn't that awesome? So it makes a lot of sense too. Right. So for everyone think about everyone's role. Mm -hmm. So for everyone listening, Cobb is the director. Arthur is the producer. Uh-huh. Ariadne is the production designer. Uh-huh. Eames, that forger, is the actor. Saito is the studio. And Fisher, the guy whose mind they go into, is the audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how Nolan said he did it. He said, in trying to write a team-based creative process, I wrote the one that I know. Smart man. Which is fantastic because from a writer's perspective, they always tell you, write what you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, obviously that doesn't, you can't always do that. Like for me, I write science fiction, and so I've never have you been to space. I've never been on a spaceship, but I have watched a lot of nerd TV. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is, like, obviously, if you can't necessarily write the element that you're in to know it, you can write the character interaction that you know. You can write the the relationships that you know, that kind of thing. So when you stick with what you know, you definitely add an element of of realness. Mm-hmm to your character interaction and i totally love that because they did definitely work seamlessly with one another the characters did so i think that if you're looking at it from that lens and that perspective you can totally see nolan's personal experience with being on the creative team for a production translated into their their heist team their dream heist team now that you mention it and thinking about every character in the role i see their personalities make more sense so like arthur (laughs) As the producer. Right. As the producer is just as direct. someone who's worked around Information produce, conveyor. <laughs> as someone who's worked around a lot of producers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're very much like, especially because from a producer standpoint, because of how many I've interacted with, I feel that they definitely are, this is the schedule. We do this and we only do this. And if we go off this, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody gets yelled at. Um, which also makes also makes perfect sense for Eames being like the actor because he's the one who has to portray everything and fill the shoes of certain people and he literally becomes browning 
right in the movie and has to take on his uh appearance and his mannerisms an and actor everything. being an actor an actor movie. being an actor and an actor <gasps> actorception mm-hmm. hey, actorception i will never you mentioned it last time but it wasn't be afraid to dream a little bigger darling Let's talk Just, about Tom Hardy for a second because well, he steals Hardy. every single scene he's he in. Is. He is so fun to watch in this His film. His quippy one-liners in this movie were just phenomenal. I love him so much. Like he literally is like standing in the the um the doorway of that restaurant in Mombasa and walks up and goes, This is your idea of losing a tail. Different tail. <laughs> I in re-watching this film, he was my favorite part. Really? Yep. He was my favorite part. I felt like he had a lot of heart where everyone else was a little, I wouldn't say boring, but they were very mm, serious. I was going to say flat. Flat. Not not boring, but flat. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He definitely had the most charisma out of everybody. Like, even when bad stuff was happening, he's like, eh, whatever. Right, he's, he's the levity. Exactly. Right. Um, Pushing people over in chairs and whatnot. I think Arthur or somebody was like leaning back on mm-hmm. the back legs and he just sticks it's his toe under one. It's when they're talking about kicks, I think. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the kick and he just sends Arthur back a little bit. Love it. <laughs> yes. He, which I mean, makes sense because he's the actor. He's supposed to have the most charisma. Right. And everyone else is supposed to be behind the scenes just making it happen. He I definitely like that. made it more enjoyable for me to watch. Um, And I guess also Christopher Nolan said that he wanted to... Um, cast Ken Watanabe in this movie specifically. He is an actor who also reminds me of Jeffrey Wright, where their presence on screen is undeniable. They always have a very strong... I feel like they always have, again, very strong presence on screen. Every time I... If if Ken Watanabe is in a film, I'm like, I want to see it. I want to see that That's interesting. Well, because he said, Nolan said that he wanted to cast Ken specifically because he hadn't... Because he was in the Dark Knight series, but he didn't have a whole lot of screen time. He was part of, oh my gosh, what is the bad guy's name? Which one? Who Bane? does, nope. The Joker? Maul, her dad. Oh, um. Who does Batman go train with? It's, um, I can see the actor. That was Liam it's Neeson. Liam Neeson. Or... Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al I knew it started with an R. <laughs> yes. So he's part of the, um, like, fighting syndicate that, that Ra's al Ghul runs. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Watanabe is. Um, and he didn't have a whole lot of screen time in that. And so Christopher Nolan specifically wanted to have him in this movie so he could have a more driving character. Mm-hmm. Which I loved. I did too. Mm-hmm. He, I think he, along with Tom Hardy, had the most presence in this film. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Obviously in Leonardo I agree, and it's actually funny that you bring that up because I'm thinking about moments when Ken had a lot of screen time and presence, and there's... So I was watching this with my dad. I said, hey, dad, I need to watch Inception because we're going to do an episode on it. You mind if we watch it? And he's like, yeah, sure, I don't mind. And so he did the, like, half-watch the movie, half-play on his phone kind of mm-hmm. thing, and which we're all guilty of. Um, but it's funny that we mention presence and everything because... Very early on in the movie, Cobb and Arthur are trying to flee the country and they get intercepted by Saito. Mm-hmm. Um, and Saito comes and picks them up in a helicopter. And I he I think he flies them around for a while or they get in the helicopter and then they haul... Because Cobb the, asks, what are you going to do with him? Right. They haul, they haul the old architect off. Um, 
And so they're in the helicopter and he has a conversation with him with the door of the helicopter open. And my dad and I both go, oh, no, he can't hear him. (laughs) My dad, who. That's the whole point of them having the headphones and stuff, too. Right. Which is it was just so funny. My dad, who for anyone who doesn't know, is former special forces and he was a helicopter pilot. So we were both cracking up at that scene because that's one of those things that like from personal experience we know of continuity like no no they're not having a conversation Mm -hmm. the second Saito says anything which is sad because the conversation he has and the lines that he delivers there are great but we're watching that going oh he they can't hear him (laughs) so it makes me wonder like obviously how they would have filmed that because they're probably not in the actual air no but the helicopter I believe was running right so I feel like for that they would have done um they would have re-recorded it. They would have had to. Yeah, they would have recorded it live, probably with the blades on, like, low or standby, not, like, takeoff mode. Um, because when they're in, like, full rotation, also you have a huge pressure stream coming down from the blades of the helicopter, and it mm-hmm. blows everything everywhere. It literally looks like it can almost, like, create, like, a crop circle. So I would anticipate, yeah, for recording purposes, they would have had to turn the blades on low to at least get the wind effect um and then done the lines and then had to re-record all the audio now i'd be really interested to go back and listen to that a third time and see how it sounds and if you can catch the spliced in audio you would never be able to catch that spliced in audio really there's no way nice as someone who's done it as someone who's done it (laughs) you're like i've done it you can't tell (laughs) that's great um other things i've done edit sound back into this dang movie uh-huh for funsies it's in class well, i was gonna say it's funny that we're doing this and then talking about sound design because didn't you literally do a mm-hmm. specific scene from this movie yes the the scene where the hotel starts to rotate yes i was in charge of that scene where it starts off with a dude on a motorcycle and then it ends with arthur throwing his gun after shooting the one guy who's after him in in the the hotel mm-hmm. um i was in charge of guns yeah. I was in charge of that dude hitting the elevator and going splat. I was in charge <laughs> Which, of doors closing you know and elevators what? opening. And It's funny that you say you were in charge of that guy going splat against the elevator. I here's, was so proud of that sound. Here's the, here's the thing. And it's really funny because, so for a class project, Sheree had to work on the the sound for that particular scene. and Our teacher took out all the sound from right. that scene and then the class had to re-add it back in. To re-add it back in, right. And so... Knowing that when I was watching it again this time, I was listening for those sound effects and everything because you you sent me like a recording of how yours Mm -hmm. sounded when when Joseph Gordon-Levitt's fighting that guy and he falls and hits the elevator and I was listening for it. And so comparing what I heard from yours in my head and then the one in the movie, I was like, oh, that was nothing. That was like a weenie little just bop mm-hmm. <laughs> and yours was just like this bone crunching noise so, well the thing is they teach you this is a fun thing for people to know i guess when they teach you it's like you can't turn sound up but you can turn it down mm-hmm. so when we edit sound it's better to have it higher and then the sound mixer can go in and adjust mm-hmm. so chances are when they edited that in real time like when mm-hmm. they actually put those sound effects into the film it was actually probably a lot louder and the sound mixer came and was like okay we got to turn this down because we have to add in music and all this stuff. There's always that a fight between sound and music. You know, that makes sense because there's definitely music going on in that. Um, and 
I mean, I have to imagine that that metallic sound, I mean, we've all run into like a metal filing cabinet at some point in our lives and there's a really big, heavy clank Mm -hmm. noise that it makes. I'll bet that initial metallic noise was probably really loud, like overwhelmingly Uh so. And you have to, with sound design too, is you're often adding layers of sounds together. Right. So my elevator hit sound was probably like three or four different metals crunching together Mm -hmm. at some point like i mean we talked about that with um signs a little bit we had noted that with some of the sound design for signs that when we were talking about the noises the aliens make that i could hear some of the noises they had layered together and i was like i'm hearing whale Whale sounds sounds. (laughs) i kid you not actually what's funny is in the same editing class somebody used i think an elf either is an elephant or a lion sound when the van crunches against that uh metal railing Ooh, i'm pretty sure like but yeah animal sounds guys animal, animal sounds are sounds. often used in edits in the sound effects yes because our brain hears them and thinks awesome and multi-layered yes that's interesting i have noticed that because there are some canned animal sounds that i've heard over and over and over and over again for instance the um that wolf howl that canned wolf howl that you hear in movies all the time like the you hear that over and over and over again Wes has it's been like Wes's video game since like the 90s yeah but yes animal sounds get used a whole lot for everything the other one was I'm watching this with my dad and you know I'm watching this years and years and years later after I mean, I've watched this a few times, just kind of had it on in the background, but this was the first time in a few years that I've watched it to really analyze. Uh And so I'm watching, and you know, Saito gets shot in the dream, and it's a big deal because they can't just shoot him to wake him up because he's sedated. So Mm -hmm. if he shoots him, he won't wake up. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm thinking, okay, Saito just got shot, and for the first time ever, my brain goes... Uh, they're in a dream. Can't someone just dream up a surgeon to take the bullet out? Huh. Like, they they control their subconscious. They don't need to know how to do surgery. All they need to do is dream up a projection of a surgeon to do surgery on him, like, in an emergency. But would it have to be Fisher's brain? No, because they're not... I don't think they're in Fisher's mind. I think they go into certain people's minds throughout the layers of the dream. Oh, you're right. Who's the first layer? I think maybe Ariadne, because she's the... She's the architect. Okay. Yeah. So because he says you have to create the Remember levels of the dream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to think within the logic of the the movie itself. But I believe they're they're not in Fisher's mind because he says you have to create the layers of the dream and teach them to the dreamers so that they can create it and populate it with their projections. So okay. I don't know. Oh, they're in Yusuf's mind the first time. Remember because he says, "Oh, you couldn't have peed before we went under." Ah, yes. Yes, they're in Yusuf's mind yes. on the first level. So yeah, Yusuf couldn't have dreamed up a, a surgeon. That man did not seem like a very good dream architect person. Well, he didn't, uh, he drank too much champagne on the flight before he went under, so <laughs> maybe maybe not all there. Um, the other one that I did want to bring up, which is huge, 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 and I'm going to pull up this article right now. Uh, the other interesting goof that I wanted to bring up that kind of pops some bubbles for me, but there are few people who know this. Um, so I, I double-checked this against um, the science blog Inverse. And the goof in, that this, in this movie is that you can't actually read in your dreams. I'll just let that sink in. 
And in the very first shot... And no one sees the face I'm making at you right now, but it's, <laughs> it's very quizzical. confusion with a little bit of questioning in it. Yes. Um, I can tell you that's false. I cannot tell you how many times I've fallen asleep thinking about the things I've just read and studied, like German vocabulary. So here's the thing. So not that you can't process words while you're sleeping. Um, you can... Essentially, the part of your brain that actually processes linguistics and reads is asleep while you're dreaming. And what instead you see, like if you go back and think about a dream where you were reading, if you try to actually envision the words that you were reading, you won't be able to. Because your, your brain will essentially fill in like gibberish, like imagine like Cyrillic, like a different language almost. What's Cyrillic? The, the like a Russian, like a Slavic language. Oh. Yeah, that's the the alphabet that they use is a Cyrillic alphabet. So not traditional characters. And that's what this science blog was confirming. Um, so let's see, according to assistant professor of psychology, Deirdre Barrett, um, dream research really does confirm that most of us can't read in our dreams. Um, most of us. Most of us, yes. It says, most of us seem to have to do, um, hold on. Most of it seems to have to do with our whole language area being much less active. Even though people describe things where they're with a group of friends talking about something, if you really ask whether they heard voices or read specific phrasings, the vast majority of people will say no. So our language centers while we're sleeping are not active because of what side of our brain controls linguistics and what side of our brain is awake when we're sleeping so interesting you can like i said essentially you can still process the cognitive function like the best example i could give to you would be like read like driving and reading street signs because i've had dreams about that and then i woke up and realized like oh in my dream i saw a street sign i was like oh that's the road that i need to take and took that exit but when I woke up and tried to remember what that word was that I had read on the sign and tried to envision the letters, they didn't exist. So people who think they dream about lottery numbers, fake? I don't know about numbers because numbers exist in a different side of the brain than letters do. Okay. That's why people tend to be better artists or mathematicians. Um, it's um, a left I brain, know right I'm brain thing. I'm not a mathematician. Yeah. Um, I'm not either, yet somehow I worked in finance. <laughs> Uh, so that was just a fun fact because I noticed that because um, I had known that oddly enough, and this article rep or this article references where I learned this from, and it's the funniest place. It's an old '90s episode of um, oddly enough, Batman. Of course, right. So this is where I learned this, and this um, this PhD uh, psychologist confirms that this essentially what is listed in this episode is accurate. Huh. Um, it's the nineties Batman, the animated series. Good Bruce, series. Yeah. Great series. Uh, great theme. Also, I think it's Danny Elfman who yeah. wrote that theme. Um, Bruce Wayne gets trapped in a dream where he's no longer Batman, something that's obviously clearly wrong, but he can't prove it until he opens a newspaper and sees nothing but random symbols. So I'll show you. I'm going to turn my iPad around so you can see what I'm talking about. Okay, cool. That is cool. Yeah, so that's where I learned it. And then when I was looking it up for this, because I thought about it in the very first scene when they're in Saito's mind trying to extract the information that they were hired to extract, Cobb manages to get this envelope and he's frantically looking at these papers that are marked confidential. And he can and we can read confidential. And I was thinking, wait a minute, he wouldn't, that wouldn't ever actually work if it was 
information that a subject had hidden in his mind in print format that wouldn't actually be possible for him to extract because you can't read while you're asleep. Now, what I'm going to say is... Play devil's advocate. You always play devil's advocate. This is a movie. This I know. I know. So obviously suspend your disbelief. <laughs> obviously suspend your disbelief. It was just like like how I have told you that I always notice... Like I noticed the helicopter thing because I know from Dear personal experience... everyone, wait till we get to Harry Potter. <laughs> God help us all. I'm going to be stopping her every five minutes and be like, that's not the point. Oh, it won't even be every five minutes. I'm going to get 30 seconds and you'll be like, Audrey... Real it is. I'm going to have a lot to say. It's not going to be good. Uh, so that was just a little fun fact that I noticed from from watching this. And I wanted to look it up because I was like, okay, I've always known that you can't read in your dreams. But I needed to find out if it was something that like I just knew or if this was actual scientific fact. And apparently it is. So I challenge all of you next time you're dreaming to like focus once you wake up and to... see if you can remember what you read. I want to. I want to dream something. I want to go in my dream and be like, "I'm going to prove her wrong." Go ahead. I would absolutely love that. Please do. Back to casting. Back to casting. <laughs> now that we just derailed on a couple of those little trivia goofs there. And um, production things. And production things. Yes. Um. So you said production, right? Yeah. Okay. What did you think I said? I don't know. My brain was like, "Wait, did she say what I think you said afterwards?" What did you think I said? That I production? don't know. I thought you said production. I was like, "Wait, did she not?" And then I just assumed that she did. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Please cut all that out. No, little ADHD that brain. No, staying in. Other casting things I wanted to point out was I even I noticed from watching other Christopher Nolan movies. Um, you know how obviously there are certain directors that have like their favorite actors. You know, M Night Shyamalan cast certain people. J J Abrams lots likes to cast certain people. Tim Burton obviously always casts Johnny Steven Depp. Spielberg. <laughs> Steven Spielberg, too. Steven Spielberg, yes. There's plenty of, of directors that love to cast specific people for stuff. Because um, they've definitely just, for plenty of reasons, they grow really fond of their acting style. They really, sometimes they'll write a character specifically for that person. Um, Christopher Nolan is definitely one of those people. There are so many people that are in other Christopher Nolan movies. I, have, I wrote them all down. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, Marion Cotillard, Cillian Murphy are all, wait, I'm sorry, Killian Murphy, are all in the Dark Knight trilogy. And Michael Caine is literally in everything, everything. that he's ever done, like all of his movies, Michael which I Caine. didn't realize. And I have this on my list as a potential movie for us to do is The Prestige, uh -huh. which is a Christopher Nolan movie. I did not know that that was a Christopher Nolan movie. And it makes perfect sense that that's a Christopher Nolan movie because it rings of Christopher Nolan movie. Is Prestige the one that also has... Hmm, hold on. Prestige is Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, Christian and Bale. they are yeah. warring magicians. Yeah. Trying to come up with the best trick. That's what I was thinking of, Christian Bale. Yeah. Um, that Did movie... Did you say Hugh Jackman? Yeah, Hugh Jackman. I haven't... I have not seen a movie in so long, I forgot he was in that. I know! It's because I don't really associate Hugh Jackman with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, so he acts opposite I now only Christian associate Bale. him with musicals. Right? I'm like just thinking of Greatest Showman, and that's exclusive. Like Wolverine, Greatest Showman, that's Hugh Jackman in a nutshell. Oddly enough, yes. <laughs> I mean, there are worse things to be associated with as an actor. It's just how extreme do you have a man who has claws, and then he's singing me show tunes. I mean, it's not like every girl's man. dream. I guess so. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> Well-rounded man who will defend you, but is also a total softy who will sing you sweet melodies. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> um i actually joked about this i i put a note in here i'm like honestly surprised that we didn't get anne hathaway playing ariadne instead which totally could you not have seen that 
as Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway playing Ariadne. Only reason I say no is because Paige was a better age. Oh, completely. Well, in 2010, I mean, how how recently had well, we gotten Princess Diaries? How young was Anne Hathaway in 2010? I mean, she fairly just young, done, right? Anne Hathaway had just done Dark Knight Rises. No, so we she, just figured out Dark Knight Rises was after this. But still, she's definitely old. She's too, I think she's too old for that character, where Paige had just done Juno. And Juno was mm, yeah, you're a right. young that girl does, in high school. That does put and Paige in the right age So group. Ariane is a college student. Yeah, Anne Hathaway wouldn't really, Anne Hathaway would Arguably more, college age student. Right, master's program kind of thing, as far as age group so goes. So I think, as, as far as age goes... Paige was the better choice. Sure, age, but I think I think Anne Hathaway's acting style totally would have fit with this movie too, though. I think. I mean, I think there could have been several people who cast, but like, I feel like who's someone else you would think of to cast in this? Because I don't know. In, I like think what in is as Ariadne specifically? Because I was thinking about casting, and I I felt like Ariadne's character was like the one character that didn't quite Honestly, meld with the I don't rest of the know, cast for me because Paige was so popular at that time. See, actually, that's funny because I think this is the first thing that I ever saw Paige in. The I had never thing seen because I, I never saw Juno. Juno. I, I never saw I loved Juno. Juno. Um, J.K. Simmons was fantastic in that film as well. I love J.K. Simmons, but Paige. I mean, I think that whole cast for Juno was really, really great. It was very odd, very weird. Who it's acts like, opposite Paige in Juno? Um, who acts opposite Paige in Juno? It's um, uh, man, I can see his face. He's in. Is it somebody dorky? Yeah, it's... Is um, it Michael Sarah? Yes, it's Michael Sarah. thank you. Oh, <laughs> I need to watch that movie. That sounds like such a dorky cast. I would love it. It's a wonderful film. I actually really, really, really enjoyed it. I um, think it came out at a point in time when I probably was not uh, allowed to watch it. Not, not not allowed to watch it, but I definitely grew up in a little bit more strict household when it came to movies that I couldn't, couldn't I want, see. I want to say I was at the tail end of high school when that film came out, I, or somewhere in high school. And yeah, Gina was really good. Mm-hmm. So I think Paige was definitely cast based on how well they did in that film. Because sure. I believe Paige was nominated for I was going to say, I think there was a Oscar. nomination in there because of uh, the performance in that movie. I think definitely well-deserved. Yeah. But okay. um, I would also agree to an extent. But I feel like it's not Paige's fault that Mm-mm. the character didn't meld. Like I just think it was the way it was written. Yeah. yeah it was the, but that also the, the goes writing. with Arthur's character. It's kind of boring. Yeah, they were all kind they're, of flat, which makes sense though because they're, they're not the star the story of the along. show. They're pushing they're the story along and the plot. Right, that makes sense. It makes sense. It makes because Ariane sense. the whole time is trying to be like, okay, we got to figure out Maul. You got to tell people about Maul. That that's true. Um, Ariane's character was definitely very compelling at a certain point because she's the one who confronts Cobb about the fact that he's just keeping Maul locked up in his memories. I think Ariane got more, became a better character as the movie went on. I thought Ariane was very boring at first. Mm-hmm, I did too. I was impressed. In- interesting, but but not a standout yeah. character. It wasn't until Ariane was really trying to like be like Cobb. You gotta, you got some things you gotta figure out, homie. You gotta figure mm-hmm. this out. This is not a, this is yeah. not working out for the team here. People right. are dying because of your ex-wife, right? And I guess that makes the most sense. Or not your ex-wife, for, your de- your dead your, wife, right? Your former, your former wife, <laughs> your late wife. <laughs> um, I think that does make the most sense for Ariadne's character to bring that up, though, because she's the newest to the team. Mm-hmm. She's never worked with Cobb before, so she is the person who would have reason to question that whole dynamic, because everyone else just kind of accepts it, mm-hmm. um, or is frantically finding out about it the first time they go into the I mean world. I'd want to figure that out too like if I'm going into you if I'm like hmm, why did a train just run through downtown of the first level of our dream 
hmm, looking for Why is your uh, dead wife, you know, coming down as Mission Impossible to <laughs> shoot people? <laughs> I back? forgot she came down Mission Impossible style from the ceiling. Oh my gosh, this it's movie's just, great. I would be like, well, I'm not going to work with you until you figure this out. Yeah. And then she tries too. to figure it out. Like, I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have done the same thing Ariane does and tried to, like, sneak into his dreams and be like, what are you hiding from all what of us? What are you hiding you in here? You want me to work with you? There are no, uh, you can't be having these uh, these hidden truths from us. Hidden, hidden truths. Oh, that's great. Um, okay, so I'm thinking about the dream levels. In, in thinking about the dream levels, um, I don't, I don't know about the snow one, but I know we've that's talked about. That's the worst about, one. I don't really, not a big fan of the snow level. I wasn't. I guess I guess Christopher Nolan based it off something specific, like some place he'd actually been. Um, oh no, it was from something from a Bond movie. It was supposed to be like a, a fortress from a Bond movie that he had really liked. Nah. But yeah, I wasn't particularly compelled. Obviously, the most compelling dream level was the the rotating hotel hallway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so getting into production and special effects a little bit, I I know that I have that seen... dream level and honestly the rainy card level. Those those are my two favorite levels. Any scene with rain is going to be super compelling for me. I'm okay. I'm addicted to rain. I so miss. I used to live in Washington, and just for all of you listeners who've never been to Washington, Stephanie Meyer nailed it on the head. It really does rain every single day in Washington, and I miss it so much. So moist. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't use the word moist. Watch me say it again. <laughs> I will. Ma'am, this is harassment. Oh. I'll never understand how people just don't like that word. Because it's moist. The word moist so, is moist. You, the, the word moist is moist in your mouth. You know what words are terrible? It, ones in SPS or SKS, like tasks. Tasks. <laughs> Cusps. <laughs> moist. Things I've never thought people about. People have in an my, issue like, with tasks. moist. it's terrible that's hilarious things i'm not gonna be able to unhear that now i'm never gonna be able to unhear that because i i want to i want to be able to pronounce every letter right and say like i have a couple of tasks for you to complete so you just don't do that sks is not as bad but sps mm. when you into the void (laughs) i have two cats so the void does in fact back Ah, derailment number what, two, three? Oh, we're on production, I think. (laughs) We're talking about dream levels. We're talking about rain. Moist. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just tried to put us back on track. Train track. Inception. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Insert downer noise. End of episode. I want to ask a question to our audience. Before you say choo-choo, how many chugga-chuggas come first? (laughs) Is it four? Chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga, choo-choo, or is there more? For me, it's chugga chugga. chugga Are you one of those crazy people that's just like chugga chugga choo choo, like a psycho? Yeah. Oh well, no, no, no. Actually, no. I lie because we discussed this earlier. It's four chuggas. It's yeah, right. If you're thinking about like children's book, you go chugga 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 choo choo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it can't be more than six because six is the, that would be chaotic. But there are people out there who do like eight chuggas. <laughs> it's wrong. That's insane, and they're trying to get food in their children's mouths. <laughs> That's the only way. <laughs> They're like, don't think about the fact that it's potatoes all gratin. Just put it in your mouth. That was the th- the food that I couldn't eat as a child. Was potatoes all gratin? It was slimy. It was, it's still gross. I don't. I don't what? like potatoes and cheese. The like sliced potatoes and cheese. Yeah. No. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. What? 
as a child, I couldn't do it. Like I said, it was slimy. The texture was weird. It, it I was never liked it then. I like eating like Nickelodeon Gak. I'm That's sorry. What I, <laughs> I want to ask about Gak. I want to ask about Gak, but we've gotten off track again. We're so off track. It's fine. It's fine. This is uh, entertaining nonetheless. Okay, no, Gak. What is Gak? That green slime stuff from from it's slime. Don't call it gack. That's what it was called. You uncultured swamp. No, it was. They literally <laughs> called it gack. Who? Nick did. Nickelodeon did. The Hold face? on. Face. Hold on. Let me look this up. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look this up on my phone so you can see it. And I can show it to you. I mean, I know what the slime looks like. No, no, not not the TV slime. Not like when people got slimed on on Nick. Mm-hmm. It was a product. It was a product marketed by Nickelodeon called Gak. Oh. Yeah, and it was like slime putty that you could buy and play with. You should have said that. I thought everyone knew what <laughs> Gak was, Sheree. <laughs> you could have said silly putty and I would have been like, oh, that. It was like softer than silly putty. It it had more gravity I think I to had Gak. it. I, I had definitely had some too. I'm sure that they gave it away as like a Happy Meal toy for a while. All right, so let's uh, reverse and get back on Where track. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, all potatoes. Down potatoes. Yeah. Well, then how mm-hmm. did we get to that? Yep. Uh, beats me. We'll, we'll we'll listen back to the episode when you were editing. I'm not going like... to edit any of this out. <laughs> You're just going to have to figure out, like, how did we get from I point can't wait a to hear this while I edit and be like, oh, that's how we got Chugga to- Chugga Choo Choo, train coming through to dream level one. How many chuggas do you say you're trying to feed your child? If you're trying to feed ah. your child, what is the food you're trying to get them to eat? Potatoes all gratin. Gak. ADHD brain for the win. That was wonderful. Now I will have to edit out your clapping. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, <laughs> if it wasn't too loud, it'll be fine. I thought about it. I tried to make it quiet. Okay. So. Dear everyone, I hope you enjoy our derailments. They're I'm the so best parts sorry. of the show. Oh, I'm not. So I'm a little sorry. I feel bad because this is what my husband has to deal with every day of our marriage is my ADHD brain just I quite enjoy it. On the wall. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad someone does. I mean that's most of our conversations. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. That's why we can stay on the phone for four hours at a time. So in talking about production, because obviously the train that they ran through the downtown was CGI. They did mm. not in fact run a train through the downtown, but things that were not CGI a lot of stuff in this movie because um, I looked it up and it was something like, and you can confirm this doing being in cinematography, the average film, you know, with, with a little bit of CGI dependence has like upward of 2000 CGI shots lots and lots, lots and, and lots, lots and lots of CGI shots. This one only had 500. It's about a fourth. Right? Of what's normal. How bananas is that for how trippy this movie That's impressive. is? Isn't it though? They utilize practical effects for most of the stuff. In fact, for most of like the big important things that we saw, those were all practical effects. For instance, the the rotating hallway in the movie, that was done with practical effects. So what they did, and and I, I learned this from watching some of the bonus content from the DVD itself, um, is they like rented out a giant airplane hangar, a couple of them actually, and built this massive like I think what they said it was like sixteen feet long metal piping rig, and then built a hotel hallway inside of it, and then hooked it up to what essentially equated to like the horsepower of like a sixties motorcycle. Wow. 
Uh-huh. So basically like a hamster wheel <laughs> and hooked it up to this tiny motor and then rotated the hallway. Obviously you need to get it rotating slow, not super, super fast. Oh, yeah. So you don't need an excess of horsepower or anything on the engine to rotate this hallway. But they built this massive 16 foot long rigging set. So like imagine like like a bunch of like if you've ever seen like the dome on like a playground of monkey bars, like a monkey bar dome where it's all like crisscrossed and circular and everything. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what this rig looked like mm -hmm. was just this big circular metal structure with some crisscrossing piping in the middle of it. And they built a hotel hallway inside of it with functioning lights, by the way, all the sconces, the ceiling lighting, all built into that hallway. That was real lighting. I want to say about sound design mm -hmm. having to think about what that's going to sound like and adding that sound into what does a rotating hotel sound like Wh whoever thinks about those things oh which reminds me too once everything once there's no gravity and they're in that hotel room uh, and everything's flying around. Speaking of sound design, one of the best things that I noticed was like a hotel phone goes floating by and you can hear the beep, 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 beep of the receiver being off the hook for when a long I time. Tell you, I'm so glad I wasn't in charge of those sounds when we were editing this scene. <laughs> just, just pure torture on their sound design guy. When we did Foley in class, I knew I would never want to work in Foley. So what is Foley? Can you define Foley, Foley for me? Is when a person is creating the sound. So like footsteps. There's oh. somebody in the studio creating those footstep sounds. Like for um like for the Incredibles, how they created all of their own sounds uh -huh. for that movie. And they literally had Clothing somebody movie. with plastic on a table mm -hmm. doing the ch 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 of uh Edna's steps as she walked down the hallway. Clothing movement, paper <sighs> moving, like if it Oh, I would love to work in Foley. That'd be so much fun. Oh no. That's fine. You don't do Foley. I'll do Foley. When I that was uh Teamwork. doing that assignment gave me so much anxiety. Uh -uh. I had to take medicine for it. <laughs> oh no. Are you serious? That'd be I feel like to me that'd be so much fun because I'd be like, okay, I have to create this one random noise. What can I use that will make this one random noise? That would be so much fun. It would be fun if you have if you're equipped with all those things. Mm. Like the scene we specifically did fully for was a scene from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, I haven't seen that movie in I so believe, long. I believe it was that film. Yes. Um, it's when the guy is driving through like this rural area and he stops at a train track. That scene. Um, oh, I haven't seen that movie recently enough to be able to know what scene you're talking so about. So yeah, Foley is very hard and time consuming, and thankfully it's a trial and error. You you edit as you go, mm -hmm. and you add it in later, and all the sounds. I can see how that would be time consuming because you're presented with a sound. And you're like, you need to make this sound, and you go okay, and then you make it with what you have on hand. And then you listen to it afterwards and you go, no, that doesn't sound right. And then you have to go scramble and find a new it's prop to create that so sound with. hard to make a sound that... I can see how definitely it would be very time it's, consuming. It's, it's a headache. For me, for me, I'd rather go in and go to a sound library and add in all these layers of sounds. Like, my guns had like three layers and then the... You the know man... how I feel about continuity of firearms, <laughs> though. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we talked about the that in another episode, though. You, Yeah, we definitely talked about as far as like firearms firing sounding and how that can definitely be punchier yes um one of the ones that bothers me to no end is when a character whips out a gun and there's this clanking noise guns they don't they don't make a noise when unless you they're hitting something pull them unless they're hitting something but when you pull a gun and point it at somebody it is silent there is no sound the only sound is the coming out of the holster but that's not very intimidating in mm. film 
So they add in this clicking noise, almost the sound, it tends to almost be the sound of a round being loaded, which is not realistic. But the one that drives me crazy even worse than that is when they add in the sound of a hammer being cocked on a hammerless pistol. Interesting. Drives me absolutely insane. For instance, most police characters in a show will be carrying a Glock. Glocks don't have hammers. Uh That little trigger that you pull on the back of the gun. Uh, Glocks don't have that. And yet, often sound designers, again, for punchiness of sound and sound intimidation, will have a police character and have that sound edited in to the use of his firearm when it literally doesn't exist. Uh It'd be like having an iPhone, and then when you hang up on somebody, editing in a sound of an old flip phone shutting. That, you know what? That is the equivalent. That is a great way to explain that, yeah. Yeah, that's the equivalent for me. So, but, again, most people don't notice those things. That is only for the the small subset of watchers who have personal experience with those sound elements and know the lack of realism of them. So, for the most part, you can usually get away with some mm-hmm. of that stuff, because it sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you do what the director says. And at the end of the day, you do what the director, the director says. The director and the people paying for the movie. The producers. Exactly. Sometimes they don't make the best decisions, though. So What do you have mean? To they just... always make the best decisions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we are the producers. We can trash talk the producers because it's us. We're paying for this? Then no. Right. We are the producers. We <laughs> We're trash the producers. Talk. I'm trash talking myself here. No, I mean, sometimes they make, like, for instance, with Suicide Squad. Um, the first one. Not the most recent one. The most recent one, the James Gunn one, was excellent. The original Suicide Squad movie was originally rated R. The production studio got a hold of it, looked at it, and said, no, it's too dark. We need some comedic relief. Tone it down to PG-13. And we got the mess that we did. We, it was a great soundtrack, though. Excellent soundtrack. Oh, I still have that soundtrack. <laughs> Me too. That's got some great songs on it. But the overall movie that we got, because the production studio said no we want comedic relief we're like it's a villain movie (laughs) so sometimes the best decisions don't always get get made at the end stage of production um but with this movie they did they made excellent decisions like literally like i said building a rotating hallway um the other one and i I feel like a lot of these effects for this movie have been done to death by like other youtube channels other podcasts and i almost didn't want to talk about them but i feel like you can't talk about this movie without talking about the special effects and the practical effects it is it's a visual feast and for instance one of the visual feasting quote-unquote moments in this movie is the paris cafe scene with all of the exploding boxes and fruit stands and everything so i did some research on this too um and a lot of the bonus content in the the scenes from the dvd um talk about how they actually set off explosions in Mm -hmm. this parisian uh street which um, you go to paris and be like kaboom obviously made a lot of the parisians a little bit uncomfortable Uh and they had to make it because there's not exactly the greatest history with explosions in Paris. Right. So all of the people who are living on that street are like, I don't know about this. Right. So what they did was um, instead of using like traditional explosive material or even prop explosives, um, they used air cannons mm-hmm. and set those up behind the props that they were going to use, you know, the fruit stands and everything. And what they did was do like aerial shots and stuff of all those air cannons setting off and really just exploding all of that stuff out into the air. And then what they did to intensify it was explode everything into the air. And then later in post-production with CG, then explode some of those items even further. Cool. Mm -hmm. And so add mini CG explosions 
buried within the real air cannon explosions Mm -hmm. to intensify it and make it look even cooler. So if you look really, really closely, you can see points when wooden pallet boxes go flying and then you you can almost pick up the slight cg when then they go off in different directions mm-hmm. love that yes so but, it, but you, it's buried within the realism so you can't tell your eye blends it right in mm-hmm. um there's and so for instance like there's a um there's a small car and a table and chairs set and they have them hooked up to guide wires and when they set off the air cannons they literally yank over a car and the table and chairs and they yank it over into the street and roll it. So oh, that yeah. car, not CGI, they really did just yank a car and roll it into the street. Um, and they say actually set off these air cannon explosions with Leonardo DiCaprio and Paige in the scene. That's cool. Yeah. So I guess the way they had it rigged up was they were in their own little safety zone where they wouldn't have felt, I guess Christopher Nolan and the production designer said the paper cup, on their table didn't even wobble cool that's how completely safe they were inside this scene because christopher nolan wanted to get a shot of the effect of stuff blowing out the windows mm-hmm. past page dicaprio mm-hmm. and and they're and the poor the poor special effects guy is like how am i gonna do that <laughs> lots and lots and lots of practice right and so they did the and they, meetings. they ran that over and over and over again in those airplane hangars with those air cannons and everything and figured out where that safe zone was going to be to have them in and then so they did it let off those air cannon explosions with some more innocuous objects and and then later in cg went in and added in the shards of glass the ceramics all of those things blowing past page's face that would not have been kosher to have in an actual shot or possible Mm -hmm. to have an actual shot so i really liked that marrying of cg with practical effects to create that beautiful element of realism because i didn't know until recently i had to do my research to figure out how they did that because it looked so real so I think they did an, an excellent job. I love that. I absolutely love that. Okay, so that concludes today's episode and part two of Inception. We talked about um, a little bit of casting and a lot of production and a little bit of derailments here and there. Hope you had fun with those. Hope you had Let fun with those. Let us know about those. the Chugga Chuggas. Because we did. Yes, please message us with what you guys do with the Chugga Chugga Choo Choo's. Um, next week, in honor of May the 4th, we're going to do two things. We will be bringing you your weekly episode one day early. And we are also going to be doing an episode on something a little unexpected, Solo, a Star Wars story. But you thought we were going to do something mainstream. No, we're going to do something that I really like and I want to do and surprise you guys with. So make sure to give that a watch if you want to uh, have your memory refresh of what that story is about. Uh, So make sure to be back here next Thursday to tune in. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse. Roll credit.